So there are lots of ways in which we cover things up. And I was using uh, the talk earlier this morning, I guess it was this morning, covering things up that probably should be should be looked at more closely. Sometimes we we don't realize that we're covering things up because we think that we need to have an opinion, an idea, a judgment. We have to have some understanding of whatever is happening in terms of our thought process. It's a good thing. It's a bad thing. It uh, doesn't mean anything. It's what somebody did or what I did or what I shouldn't have done and on, so on and so forth. <clears throat> Seems to be necessary to train ourselves and the way we train ourselves to see more clearly is to see the confusion, not by trying to not be confused. That's uh, what most people are trying to do, not, not be confused, not be so confused, get better. So it would be try, like trying to, uh, what was that one uh, where the little boy's trying to grow up? Trying to grow up <laughs> makes about as much sense as what we often do with our negativity, straining against it, pushing on it. So I would say it this way, that the sitting practice of meditation, when you're sitting, holding still, just watching what is coming and going, what is coming and going, and endeavoring not to make up stuff about it or not to go anywhere else, see something and not go somewhere else, in other words, distraction, and not to go somewhere else by taking the very thing that's necessary to see and adding on your ideas, your opinions, your judgments, your evaluations, and your reinterpretation and your translation of that out of what it's actually saying or is into something else that you think it's saying or is, which is maybe less threatening or easier to blame someone, or easier to blame yourself. Um, that whole strategy around that to try to avoid what is fundamentally true. And what it is that is fundamentally true that you are probably trying to avoid is in the way that you think you do, you don't exist. I'm not saying there isn't something happening, but it's not you. And it's not exactly an existence. And it is not separate from anything. To be introduced to that by a teaching like the teaching of the Buddha, that everything is dependently arisen. The way of just talking about that is very simple, is you can't have this without everything else. You can't have this without everything else. You can't take one thing out of this and without everything else collapsing. or else being lonely, or some other idea about it. And of course you can remove it, but I'm just saying if you, if you begin to look at it that way, that whatever's arising is the entire, this is something that showed up in the movie The Matrix, the, the way that they use that, the visual imagery there to show that everything is dependent on everything else, the way they broke that down, the technology they used to show that, that situation, that all these little parts get together and, and create an illusion of uh, a solid three-dimensional uh, time and space reality. And it's not about <clears throat> changing our mind or convincing us to go another direction, particularly. It is about uh, the sitting practice of meditation. is about training us to see whatever is occurring, to see it without any laminations. No, don't add. Don't do the math. Not your kind of math. That's that's different kind of math. Zach teaches math. But the kind of math that is used to give us the illusion that we're controlling something, at least we have at least I'm able to do something about this. At least I know something about it. Get some kind of a credential that tells us what that actually is, rather than a willingness to just just fundamentally be with whatever's arising. Just be with that. This isn't to say that in your life, if you're walking down, walking out here, uh, going to your car and a, a bear comes out of the woods, that you're just going to be with the bear. I'm not talking about some kind of, you know, idealism, some kind of mushy stuff. I'll just let the bear eat me. Don't do that. You should eat the bear. 
or not. You should get in your car, drive away, take your time. Not too much time. Just the right amount of time. Much easier to do that if you're not panicked, if you're not really fundamentally concerned with uh, uh, imaginary things that happen in terms of fear. This is the same thing when something arises in the sense fields, uh, including the mind, uh, accepting, rejecting, turning away, just just create more chaos. Even little tiny, little tidbits of turning away, like uh, one I think I used it earlier, but you're doing something that's negative. Maybe you're maybe something that you don't like. You, you get jealous of someone, and you know it's ridiculous to be jealous of someone for something, something they got that you should have got. Or, and uh, and rather than say, rather than opt for something like that is more about the ego, trying to be a better ego, about something like uh, laminating by saying, I shouldn't feel that way. Misunderstanding. It's very, very subtle because in some sense, we don't want to do that, but that's an a, a, a incomplete approach. It, it is what you're doing there is you're assuming there is someone that can get better. So by saying anything, doing anything with that, even, even there I go again, or I wish I wouldn't feel that way, anything like that causes more circles. Just because of the nature of the way uh, physical manifestation, uh, uh, spiritual manifestation, psychological manifestation, just the way that that works, do nothing with it. If somebody wants to accuse you of being a pacifist or not doing enough or not protesting, or let them do that. You are probably doing more to address the craziness of this world by, crazy, by addressing it in an area that you actually have a little bit of say-so, right here. If you take unexamined aggression that's been stuffed out into the world, I don't how, care how much truth is scrolled across your, your, your protest sign. I don't care how true it is. If the aggression is unexamined, you're just going to contribute to more and more aggression. If you don't understand what I'm saying, please ask questions. So that being the case, if something does happen and you do add on, uh, just kind of a knee-jerk reaction, oh, there I go, I, just, I shouldn't be jealous of him or her or them. I shouldn't be. Then at least don't, don't back up another quarter of an inch and then jump on that one, that shouldn't be happening. And then another one, that shouldn't be happening. Just whatever, ha the, the closest lamination you can see is a lamination, don't abandon that. Don't abandon neurosis. Don't abandon delusion. And don't, when you see delusion in others, do not correct them. Respect people's uh, insanity. We aren't gonna be able to help people if we don't really respect the craziness that they're dealing with, grappling with, fighting with, probably, day after day, night after night. You have to respect them. And this may not show up to them as some kind of respect. You might be the only one that really realizes by staying away from them and letting them function in whatever kind of spinning circles they're going in. I'm not saying abandon them. Don't leave the room, necessarily, metaphorically speaking. Don't, don't leave them. Stay with them, but don't get so close that you interfere with the karma that they need to see. They need to see that karma. You need to see your karma. And when I say that, I'm not saying you need to see it because you need to stop it. You need to see it because you need to switch gears, change it into something else. That's, that's, uh, that's called, from the, that's called um, cultural materialism, psychological materialism, any kind of materialism, even spiritual materialism. Don't manipulate anything if you can help it. And how do you do that? You see the way we keep out of some kind of self-centeredness, some kind of impulsiveness to fix or correct or shame or something. We keep jumping into the milieu and try to find the levers and buttons, which just creates more friction, more chaos, more fire, more smoke, and more con confusion, more spinning, and more blaming, 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 or credit. Well, at least I'm, well, at least I'm doing something. This is a, uh, What's that Sanskrit word? Horse manure? Yeah. Bosker will tell me pretty quick if Bosker's watching.
this is why it's so such a powerful thing to sit down in your living room. Think, just reflect on this a little bit. Look at the incredible vastness of your mind when you sit down, and your mind is. If you do nothing with it, you just it just starts to open up and become so incredibly spacious. Which to the self-centered part of the mind, that part of the mind uh, in the Yogacara tradition is called the seventh consciousness. That part that is has prideful, that part that is self-interested, that part that is that can't see anything in, except in terms of itself, and imputed or believed in self. So, from the point of view of the spiritual path, it's it may actually look like you're losing ground, you're losing out, you're not getting anywhere, you're not advancing. There's no progress. It is a, uh, in a certain sense, it's a journey without a goal. It doesn't mean there isn't some kind of a goal, but you're, 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 it's the journey that is the goal. So by seeing uh, in, your, in your post-meditation, your everyday life, seeing things without adding or subtracting or dividing, it's probably going to be more difficult because the, that aspect of the self that keeps judging is probably going to still be on automatic. It's still going to come up and take your inventory, however you want to say it. And uh, don't ignore it. Don't li- don't don't uh, uh, listen to it from the point of view of, be, of it being right or wrong. Don't ignore it. Li- just listen. Be respectful to your your, your insanity. As I was saying earlier. We can't really help somebody. If you, if you took the metaphor even further, you couldn't physically uh, do surgery on someone unless you really were clear on what you were working on. You couldn't just kind of think, well, I, I think there's something wrong, so I'm just going to cut their arm off. Yeah, not a good idea. I can tell by the expression on your face you understood exactly what I said. So sitting practice and meditation, the reason it's so difficult to do that is there's not much feedback there. It's just like the image I use, probably I've used hundreds of times by now. It's that, like the image of, a, of a, you have a, a blade of sharpening the knife, sharpening a knife. Sitting meditation is like sharpening a knife on a stone. Pretty boring. The knife is probably half asleep being sharpened. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you fall asleep in meditation. The only important thing about meditation is your intention. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to train my mind. If you fall asleep immediately, that's just uh, that's just about awareness. Just be aware that you're falling asleep. Sit back up. Start over. Start over. Start over. Start over. Sharpening, sharpening. And at some point, you get up, to use that metaphor, further you go into post-meditation, your everyday life, you got a sharp blade. So therefore... Uh, the feeling that you have about this, because you can see more deeply into this, you can see more deeply into that. The sword of prajna is, has two edges to it. It has the edge that cuts through ego, the edge that cuts through other. The, the fundamental illusion that um, people are dealing with, from the point of view of these teachings anyway, is that there's someone here and there's something else out there. Fundamentally, the way to, the way that I say that is it's not separate. There's not two different things anywhere. There's not actually two things anywhere. It just shows up that way. So by training ourselves to just observe, watch what comes, watch what goes, watch the, the need for some kind of confirmation that maybe doesn't come, and just, just observe that. Just notice that you want something else. When you actually have your heart's desire right in front of you all the time. When I say heart's desire, it's just a way of saying what you really want is this. You want, you want this. But it looks like it's something else that you should get rid of or something else that you want. Grasping, rejecting. <clears throat> so by training the mind to see clearly, by training the mind to, to not so much to control it to do, see more clearly, but by seeing the way we keep clouding ourselves up with a- addition, subtractions, we keep just making a mess of the whole thing. By seeing that, 
uh, over time in the sitting practice of meditation. That's what it means to sharpen that blade. And then when you go into your everyday situation, your job, your family, your friends, your coworkers, and so on, um, when negativity arises there, one of the ways this will show up that if you want some idea of progress, this is a little bit that might show up. You see the person that was giving you a hard time or is difficult to relate to. You see the difficulty. You still feel the difficulty, but you see about three and a half inches behind them where all of their fear is. You begin to see the fear in others. You may see fear in others before you see it in yourself. You see that you're, that people are terrified. They're trying to get away. That's why people mistreat other people because they're trying to get away from their own suffering and difficulty. And one of the ways to do that is to emphasize the separation. The enemy's over there. I'm, I'm here. I'm not gonna have anything to do with that person or else we'll blame them for how we're feeling. It's quite common to have an emotion that's triggered by someone. Someone just looks at us funny or says something or doesn't put away the dishcloth and suddenly it's... Who do they think they are? Can't they see who I am? Is it my job to take care of their dishcloth? No. Of course, you guys probably don't do that. I'm speaking to And it's not about not doing that. It's not about stopping that. It's about just noticing the way the mind immediately goes to some other kind of blaming or some other kind of crediting or some other, just anything to mix that up so we don't see the fundamental truth that is so terrifying to the ego or self-centeredness that everything is dependently arisen. There's not a solid being anywhere. Life and death, this is not something to believe. Life and death is an illusion. It is unreal. It's not that the body doesn't go down, but you are not just your body. There's some uh, connection there, of course. But who you actually are, this body can go, and you're not going anywhere. And if you do so go somewhere, you need a body, it'll show up. It'll either show up organically, or it'll show up metaphorically, and it'll, or it'll show up uh, in another dimension that doesn't, where you don't need bodies. This teaching is not something I'm making up, it's been around for millennia. If you have questions, I'd be happy to respond. Um, you talk about responsibility um, being the ability to respond. Yes. Um, does responsibility require action? Not necessarily. You can be responsible, responding to something without doing anything at all. Just the responsibility, just the ability to respond to something means that you can see clearly what it is. And then anything uh, extra that needs to be done will just come out of the awareness rather than out of some kind of, some kind of uh, agenda about fixing something, some kind of agenda about, well, I can't just sit here, some kind of agenda about, well, I can't let them get away with that. Those kinds of things are extra, and they, they tend to keep the whole confusion going, even though, relatively speaking, it's not that you wouldn't be correct. And in a court of law, someone say, well, of course, you, they did that, and you did this. And so we're not saying that isn't happening. But these are, this is the, the particular way that uh, life is handled by those who don't, have, don't understand that there's such a thing as a spiritual path, just the mundane path. There's high levels of the mundane path. Uh, mindfulness practice in order to be more peaceful, more, 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 more. You can, do, you can do that, and it works for a while, unless your karma is such that uh, uh, three months from now you're going to go through a, a passage that they call depression that has no cause. Uh, mindfulness probably is not going to help you too much in that area. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying people should, are practicing mindfulness or doing something wrong. It's, it's fine, but it is a mundane path. The spiritual path actually transcends the very person that's doing it because there is no separate being anywhere. The belief in that causes the wheel of karma to keep kicking around and around and around. Um, for my personal situation, um, you know, I have the capacity to respond how our community works with young children. Um, but at the same time, they don't understand what I'm saying. So I don't really know how to go about it then. Um, is it, 
I wonder, should I just leave them alone because that's karma? Or because I have something that can add to the situation to alleviate suffering, should I step forward and do something? So did you show me two different things? I didn't mean to, but yeah, I did. No, okay. there's no, your intention is, is obvious. Just stay in the middle. There are times when you go one way a little bit, and there are times you go the other way. But it takes, gir- it takes courage to do that. It takes guts to not know who you are, where you are, and feel like you could blow the whole thing apart at any time. But that's, that's what it feels like to be aware. That's what it feels like to live in an open dimension where you don't have any, uh, where your reference points come and go like lightning. It shows up, not time to do this. Three minutes later, it's not time to do that. It, it, operating out of awareness, and you can't do that if there's a strong, strong grasping at a self that needs protecting, that needs to be right, that doesn't want the parents to think something's wrong, or doesn't want a lawsuit for that matter. I'm not saying you, you should go the other direction. You know, like, hell with them. I'm going to do what I please. I'm going to do it my way. Have a willingness to not know. A willingness to just be in the center of any kind of that. It hasn't settled yet. The ego wants things to settle, and it will artificially take care of it. It'll, it'll, it'll provide us with propaganda to get us to lock down on something so we can get rid of the fear of not knowing. And what am I saying? Don't know. Be there. I can't come in here and do this if I knew something. If, if I was locked down on anything, including Buddhism, I could not teach the Buddha's Dharma. Because everything is dependently risen. There's no one here, there's no one there. But as long as there is some kind of situation where you want to hear what I'm saying, then I will come. And if you don't want to hear, then I will watch Netflix. Who was it to ask me about Netflix? Yeah. <laughs> probably why that came up. Or I'd take a nap. And I don't mean mean to be disrespectful to you or to anyone. I'm just saying, if you can, try to give a little bit more time in that area of not knowing what to do rather than jump to a conclusion, jump to a calculation, and tabulate. Uh, Well, I I really need to make up my mind about this. No, you don't. Just wait. It's called patience. It doesn't feel like it, but that's what it is. Hold your seat. Watch what moves. Be generous. Be generous. Give everything your attention. And if you're jumping to conclusions about things, though, what you're giving your attention to is your fear or your hope or your need to fill up that open space that is uh, can be terrifying. But if you're giving everything your attention, then you're what? You're not only giving, but you're receiving. It's the ultimate generosity. Give you give something your, your attention, then you're automatically, everything is, the world is completely generous all the time, giving you everything through all of your sense fields, including the mind. Just receive. Don't do it. Recommend nothing. Make them drag it out of you. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You meditate. And if they if they go so far as to ask you, I have, I think, five of them. Don't I have five? Uh, and they don't ask me. They tell me stuff constantly. They tell me this, tell me that, tell me this. Rarely do they ask me for anything. I don't offer much. And so in, in the situation, I'm not saying you won't be worried about them. I worry about all, all of them what they're going to do, why they're doing it that way, why they're marrying that person. You know what I mean. But I don't say anything about it. None of my business. My business was to keep them out of broken glass, make sure they were fed until they left for reform school. (laughs) (laughs) Joke. So don't, don't, uh, I wouldn't recommend meditation to anybody, particularly. Now, some uh, people who are counselors or psychologists, uh, that might be different. You, the person might is already giving you permission to help them. You might say, well, you know, if you, if you consider just sitting down and watching your neurosis, don't even call it meditation. Just hold very still and watch the way in which you keep making things worse by worrying and all that. So that doesn't mean you, uh, Laura, that you wouldn't uh, 
you would ask more questions. Well, how's that going? How are you feeling? What, you know, you know, to inquire and be with them. But advice, keep I keep that really low. They really don't want advice. Have you noticed? But now, if you're not telling them something, they might at some point, so do you think I should meditate? Then you should go, this is the mudra you need. That'll make them even more curious. Now you could say, I could say, isn't that kind of manipulative? You know, making them more curious? Not really, because they won't, they, they may come that direction, but, but they have to do it under their own steam. But if you're not doing anything with it, then then maybe they'll, you're their mom, so they're going to probably listen to what you have to say, but they're going to listen a lot more closely if uh, you really have their permission. Or they have, did I say that right? Yeah, their permission. I'm very dyslexic, so I never know what I'm saying. So uh, in that way, there might be something like that. And you might also ask them what else they've been doing. What have you done? I've been doing, I'm taking Prozac, or I'm taking Wilbutrin, or, or I'm, I'm jogging, or I'm going... How's that working? So ask about what they're already doing. And then if it does come up, uh, meditation, then uh, sell them my book. <laughs> so I guess I would just be very tentative about, about offering help without, because if you offer help and then you haven't, don't really have permission, then it's, it's kind of a, you've actually locked off the time that might've happened three weeks from now when they actually would give you permission. You've actually kind of closed that off a little bit and, and compromised that opening by kind of saying, uh, maybe you should meditate. You know, I'll meditate with you. I'll meditate with anybody. Unless it's Sangha. So, and you know, again, Sangha, it's just a form. It's not that you're, it's harmful to meditate with somebody else. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, uh, respect people's confusion. How do you do that? Don't meddle. Mind your own business. Unless you're asked. And I'm not saying you're, meddling with your children's lives, but you know, it's, it's, a, it's a funny area. Uh, further question about that? No, thank you. You're welcome. Yes? Don't have a question? Always have But um, earlier this morning, you were talking about um, uh, we have really negative uh, emotions or feelings, uh, aggression. I think it was. You said, "Don't please don't shut down on that feeling." Um, could you elaborate more? What if I feel like murdering somebody? Are you saying I should <clears throat> shut down on that feeling? So it's so, so variable. Um, you might have to. I mean, if it's really intense, if you're feeling really impulsive about that, you might have to separate yourself from whatever is happening and you know, do something very pragmatic about the whole thing rather than, than, rather than push things around in your mind, so to speak, or scold yourself. It might be better to get away from the situation that you're in and actually feel Maybe a time to sit and face the wall, and may not. May, may be a time to sit down and journal for a while. You, you convert what's happening, the emotions, into concepts. There are times to do that. And there's times not to do that. And if you're if you're if you're working with your awareness, then you your own natural intelligence, that is quite often varied by hope and fear, will start to arise, and you'll you'll know that I need to write down. I need to describe what's happening here. Or you might might be another situation where you say. You might feel like, I need to go just sit really still. I need to go sit in a dark room. I need to go to the beach. I need to jog. I need to do some yoga. I need to, I need to, I need to. It might, by uh, having some, what I was saying earlier, some patience, waiting and seeing what's that's happen what is happening there, rather than jumping to a conclusion about it, it might be more in line with the very kind of uh, um, antidote or whatever you want to call it. With, And, and as we know uh, from working with uh, people's minds in lots of different ways over many, many years, people's minds show up lots of different ways. There's, there's just so many layers and combinations and 
I mean, there's all the different, uh, as it talks about in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, all the layers of the bardos, the different, you know, there's the, the dream bardo, there's the afterlife bardo, there's the life, this lifetime bardo, and there's all these different layers of consciousness that, uh, that, that when the body drops away, uh, you don't go anywhere. I mean, you may go somewhere, but you're, it isn't like you're going to vanish. You may go into a, a dark space for 400 years. You may not. No. <clears throat> the only thing that may, and just, it, it doesn't even disappear, but the only thing that will happen over time, just watch the judgment. Don't try to improve yourself. I'm, I'm not saying that if you're doing that, you're probably not, you know, um, shooting bullets at anybody. Probably not. I mean, but you might feel the anxiety of the irritation over people in there. What are they doing there? They go again, that kind of stuff. But uh, just, just be with that uh, feeling. What will happen over time if you practice, and again, there's no guarantee, but what's likely to happen is the, the one who, the person who is imputed, who you feel is actually a solid person, that is having those kinds of thoughts starts to become transparent. The thoughts become transparent, and the self that you thought there was somebody, it's, tra it's like you... To put it very literally, the way I sometimes say it, you look out here and you look back here. Look out here, you see people. If you look in here, you don't see anyone. And then if you look back out here and see people, you actually see yourself because there isn't anyone here. So there isn't anywhere you're not at. And it's not some kind of weird, you know, ethereal kind of um, science fiction kind of feeling. Flat out ordinary. There's even a name for it in Tibetan. It's called Tamogishepa, ordinary mind. Tamogishepa, ordinary. It's ordinary. The, the mind that attains the wisdom mind is flat out ordinary. It's the most pragmatic, practical mind because it's not attached to anything. It's not even attached to itself. It's not even an interest in its own preservation. So sharpening and uh, just... Uh, as you do that, you'll see more and more deeply into, eventually you see the person who's irritating you. As I said, I think I said before, you begin to see, you could say why they're functioning that way. They're so miserable and they're, or they're so afraid. They might not even know they're afraid. They might just think they're tough when actually that's how bullies are. People who are bullies are just so terrified. They're just so terrified of being alone, being in a dark room, of not being respected or so they'll go out and demand respect, demand attention. We all know about that. There's examples of it everywhere. So then we begin to see how much that person is suffering. And so then you could call it compassion. It begins to arise. Some kind of affection arises for the person's uh, dilemma. And then we're even more equipped to be able to work with them because we're no longer trying to change them and get them to act different. We're working with a deeper layer of that person. If they even give you permission, bullies usually don't give you permission. They just keep going on until they bully themselves right into their own uh, tomb. Further questions? Tayo? How does a response coming out of um, clarity um, differ from a reaction? The reaction is very it's just what the word says. React. We we something happens and we react. We we actually, you know, it's like somebody hits a badminton. Uh, what do they call those birdies? Yeah, to you and you react. So that kind of thing it works because it's in the same, it's in the same. Uh, you know, it's a it's a sport. It's something you're doing back and forth. What was the other part of the question? How does it compare? Well, I guess because um, my perception of a response, a genuine response, would look very similar. Someone hits it, and without a preconception, I just hit, hit it back. So I'm just wondering how... 
Well, in, in that area, in the physical situation, yeah, then it would be right. You're just like the hand on the stove. You pull your top, you pull your hand away. It's a reaction to it. You Something happens, hot, and you react. Somebody throws something at you, you catch it. I know the, the uh, Chiazan, the monk at the temple, I like to stand close to him and drop something around him because he's so fast. He has it like that. Mm -hmm. You just drop a pencil next to him. So if you drop a firecracker, it really surprises. <laughs> Not lit. I wouldn't light it. <laughs> huh? One of those candles. What candles? Your birthday cake. Drop a candle? Yeah, the sparklers. Those are sparklers? Hmm. Did you see it? I think it fooled me. I've been fooled before. It'll be the last time. So the reaction idea is... There's some areas where that's it's necessary. This happens and you have to do this. You don't think about it, you just immediately do it. But where it gets confusing is when you see something and you, tr you translate it into some kind of uh, interpretation of what's happening and then you react based on your imputation of what's there. It's not just uh, a badminton uh, birdie. It's not like just a tennis ball coming at you. It's actually, it's coming at you and you, you make up what it is. You decide what it is instead of relating to it as it is. You don't just receive it. You actually invent something about it, and then you react to your, your creation. So you're actually, you're actually in your own head about what's happening in the world. So that's why I don't, when, when, when something happens, make no response. As it says in the sutras, a hair's breadth deviation will fail to accord with the proper attunement. Just a relative way of saying, just this. Whatever you're looking at, that's it. There isn't anything else. If you look over there, there isn't anything else. Time and space are an illusion. I'm not here to convince you of that. I'm just saying look very closely at your attachment to time and space. And also notice how sometimes uh, time seems like seems like an hour. Sometimes it seems, seems like three hours. And it's actually 45 minutes. So very, very subjective area. Space is the same way. Subjective. So when something happens, uh, we, if we've been working with our awareness, we're able to actually receive what that is and respond to that in a genuine, the ability to respond means what was talked about there is to actually be with that as it is, be with, not be with that as you think it is, which uh, involves blame and involves <laughs> accusations and it just gets very, very complicated. As long as there's somebody that needs to be right, somebody that can't make a mistake, somebody that doesn't want to look bad, Somebody that uh, has a lot of uh, pride, and that has that just needs to be seen through. More. Um, just to paraphrase so well and be clear, if I understand this, to respond means we're receiving, and to react it involves the three poisons. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> you trying to teach? <laughs> be careful. You're looking for a gold inspector? Gold star. Oh, gold star. Oh, I thought you said goat inspector. And of course, uh, I know how to do that. <laughs> Further questions? Yes. You use um, the metaphor of your hand in front of your yes. eyes. Say what you think you're looking at versus what you're looking at. Mm -hmm. Does this and this look This looks like something that's separate, and this looks like you. If you actually see what is in front of you, it's always you. There isn't anything but you. There isn't anything but this. And if you want some subjectivity, then it's you. You, you, you are, to the fancy way of saying this, it's sometimes said, I can say it now, you're not separate from the Buddha. I'm not talking about a religion that started 2,500 years ago. I'm talking about what the Buddha pointed to. You're not separate from... Awakening. You're always awake. Nothing ever sleeps anywhere. It just thinks, thinks it does. Just because your body goes to sleep, you don't go to sleep. Can I prove that? I don't need to. Yes? Is there another way of saying no separation? Because it gives you a headache. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think of a different way of saying no separation. I'll say it differently. Everything is always what you're looking at. It 
it's, it's, it's not what you think you're looking at. It's actually what you look at. And everything you look at, you're not separate from. It's very simply put, if I close my eyes, I don't see anything. But if I open them, I see you. I'm not separate from you. I'm the one. This, the perceiver is over here. This is the perceiver. And I impute you being over there. It's not that there isn't some kind of spatial thing happening, of course. Aspirin works. <laughs> it's 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 not complicated, and, it, and it's not if we. The temptation is, of course, is to go into some area where we figure it out, and that that's like going down and trying to figure it out. And it's actually a higher, it's a higher understanding than just the calculation of concepts and logic and so on. It's not that those aren't valuable that we can't use those. There's some uh, the especially the Galogpa tradition in Tibetan Buddhism is very, very heavy into using concepts in order to approach emptiness. So to try to, they even say you can't really understand this unless you, you understand it intellectually first. I would have to disagree with that. I think it can be seen directly, direct. I think people might need encouragement. They not, might need, uh, um, yeah, encouragement. But you can see it, you can see it yourself. You don't need to practice fancy, uh, uh, in complicated Tibetan forms. If you do, you won't be able to stay away from it. You'll listen to me or you'll, you'll ask me where you can do that. But you can see it directly. You can see it facing the wall. You can see it facing a coffee pot. You can see it facing your, your mate, your spouse, your, your pets. You can see it. Uh, it's showing up all the time. Yes. What is it that doesn't sleep? Wisdom. And you're not separate from it. But there's no evidence. All evidence is partial. And since all evidence is partial, this is relative truth. What is relative truth? A pack of lies. It's relatively correct. Fire is hot. Ice is cold. Donkeys, hee haw. Goats, what do goats do? Bah. See? I'm way ahead of all of this. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, it's, it actually may show up, I'm not, there's no guarantee, but it may show up that when you look at situations, something starts to happen at, it could happen through seeing, a hearing. Hearing is a really strong way that this can happen for some people. With me, it's uh, visual. That's where it first started to show up. It's not separate. You're always looking at uh, yourself. Even in the even in the uh, confused mind, you're looking at your interpretation of everything because you, you can't really see what's there. So it's what you think people are. With someone you know that you. Maybe like them, maybe dislike them, maybe you're new or think they're just not interesting and you don't really want to talk to them, or on and on and on, however you want to characterize it. You're always looking at your ideas of everything. It's not that you don't see someone sitting there a form, but, but the imputation or the imaginary nature takes over and describes who that person is or what they are, and that's what you're relating to. <clears throat> Whereas if you see what that is fundamentally, it's not separate from you. You're always looking at yourself. Everywhere, trees, rocks, sky, clouds, human beings, dogs, cats, aliens, everything. Can't find anything that isn't you. If you do, need to sit more. How can you see the truth when um, your perception of the clouds everything? Just look at the clouds until you see, because seeing the clouds that's the clarity. To see the confusion, you can't be, being clear about clarity is just more clarity. Will be. But being clear about confusion is wisdom. The Buddha, 2,500 years ago, as I've said many times, I'll say it again, he didn't awaken to rainbows and unicorns. He, he awoke to intense suffering and confusion everywhere. And he didn't, he probably didn't miss a drop of it anywhere. And so therefore, uh, 
he saw emptiness. He saw that everything was empty of a self and empty of an other, self and other. And uh, compassion arose spontaneously out of that emptiness. If you have just emptiness, that's a little bit of understanding. If you have just compassion, that's a little bit of understanding. It needs to be both, and they're not separate. Separated to talk about them, but they're fundamentally not separate. What does emptiness feel like? So if if you're if I think I probably experienced or get a sense of things rather than see them. So what does it feel? So it's not nihilism. It's not it's not empty of of it's not uh, the the emptiness of vacuity or something not being there. It's it's something that's very much there and it is empty of what you think it is. You think it's something else, and it's empty of that something else. It actually, it's, it could become even more brilliant because of its, uh, because there's no filter of your ideas, your opinions, your hopes, your fears separating you from the world. It can be very intense. It can be overwhelming, as it is said in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, when the, the first experience of, the, of the, the the clear light is intense and can be frightening. So you may not may. Die and you may see that and panic and go to a sidetrack, which is just another world. Whereas if whatever arises, that's it. It's always in front of you. And it can be frightening. Are you ready? <laughs> I don't know. I, uh-huh, I, I, like I know what it feels like to be terrified, and so I, I, I know you do. I get that. I, You're lucky. Some people don't know what it's like to be terrified yet. Yeah. So you were really lucky. <laughs> Isn't know. it great that you were terrified? <laughs> yeah, sure. Bring it on, right? Yeah, bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> Come and get me. <laughs> sure. Is it the constant commentary we have about things that creates the apparent suffering? I think so. That's a big way of saying it. Just a chatter. But we have to, you can't stop that. If you stop it, if you learn how to slow it down, and you, like one of the techniques for, uh, called uh, Shine, uh, Shine and Lakdong in the Tibetan tradition, or Shamatha Vipassana, is to artificially try to quiet that down. I taught, I practiced it myself, and I taught it for many, many years. And I stopped because I, I think it's, uh, it's circular. It's circular. It's better to just look directly at it right now. Right now, just just look at it right now. You don't have to maintain anything other than hold still, sit down, and look directly at it. And and what you'll see is the commentary. Uh, one of the te- techniques techniques for handling this, and I'm not saying this is incorrect. Some people may need to do this, but I just don't teach it. And that is when you're sitting, you uh, like so, follow the breath, especially the out breath. Breath goes out, breath goes out. Thoughts arise, label thinking, return to the breath. Thoughts arise, label thinking, return to the breath. It's a maintenance situation. Go ahead. I did that. Be all right. I wouldn't stop you. I just don't recommend it, having done it for a long time and taught others to do that. It just seems like, let's go, as they say, cut to the chase. Let's go and look right at the craziness right now. This is what Shikantaza, as I understand it, saying that if we went back and talked to Dogen Zenji in the 13th century, that he would say, oh, well, listen, that guy, that's not what I meant. What I meant was something else. So we'd probably have a hell of a fight. He'd win. Any further questions? Sayo. What does sleep? You ready? Yes. Nothing. Nothing sleeps. What is sleep? It's what's not sleeping.
<laughs> Nothing sleep. It's just a way of, you know, we can bounce back and forth, and I, I could go into some kind of a um, loop-to-loop situation, but it's better to just hear it that way. Nothing sleeps. Remember that part of it, rather than, you know, say something, well, you know, ignorance sleeps, or the confused mind is asleep, and we need to wake it up. And I've been looking at this way too long to go that direction. I'd rather have you hear it right from the donkey's mouth. Nothing sleeps. Good. You don't have to. You don't have to figure it out. Just remember it. And there's a, a good possibility, no guarantee, that you'll realize what that means. Something understands it, and that's what really makes me want to know it. It's like it's really moving, but it's like I. Uh, it's not an accomplishment. It's, it's, not a, it's not a success story. It might be closer to a failure story. But there's nobody fa- if there's nobody that can fail, there is nobody, then who's going to fail? There isn't anyone. Should we keep going, or what should we do? Huh? Gweet? Anybody want to wheat? What are we going to have? Shrimp? Vietnamese. Burger basket? Huh? Vietnamese. Vietnamese. We're going to eat a Vietnamese. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. That's, uh, there's a name for that. Cannibals. <laughs> Don't, we're not going to do that. Besides, we're all vegan there. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. So, any any one last question anywhere? Anyone have a question? Do fish have necks? Pardon me? Do fish have necks? <laughs> Do fish have necks? Fish have necks? Yes. Thank you. I have one last thing. Train your mind. Find some time. Any, you know, just set it up. Train your mind. Find. Try to sit down, hold still, and watch the movement of the mind without with no without comment. And if you comment. If you do comment, then just watch the comment. Don't correct anything. There's nothing to correct. This has been taught uh, formally uh, in the, by Longchenpa in the, in the what, 13th, 14th century. Great perfection. There's nothing to correct. Take that approach, you'll go in circles. They might be very sophisticated, fancy circles that everybody admires. Nothing to correct. Thank you so much.